Welcome to The Rural Rockstar, a podcast dedicated to empowering rural women with the tools and inspiration to transform their lives and businesses from the inside out. I share my journey of Survive to Thrive in life and business, and I show what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I also interview other rockstar women from around the world to inspire you to do it too. My mission is to empower the next generation of rural changemakers to show up and be the leaders we need. I'm Katrina, your rockstar host. Let's rock. Hello and welcome back to the Rural Rockstar. I'm your host, Katrina Myers, and today I'm joined by the fabulous author and Rural Rockstar, Maya Linnell. Hello, Maya. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Katrina. I'm so pleased to be on the Rural Rockstar podcast. It's a great one. I've been enjoying tuning in. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Yes, it's such a thrill to have you on today, especially with the upcoming launch of your new book, which we will get into. But um, yes, Maya is an author who you may have heard of. She's pretty well known and has, you know, written three books now and there's a new one just about to come out. Um, She's a bit of a legend in the uh, author world in rural Australia, I would have to say, having done a bit of research on her now. So it's really quite an honour to have you on today, Maya. Thank you for joining me. Um, I thought I would just start by reading the little bit in the front of one of your books. I thought it really paints a lovely picture of you and your life and then we'll get into you can tell us all about your story and and we've got some fabulous questions lined up I think which will be really helpful for our listeners and to hear more about you but um, I just love this little bit about you in the front of your book so I'll start with that. So May Linnell gathers inspiration from her rural upbringing and the small community she has always lived in and loved. Magpie's Bend is her third novel which is coming out soon following Bottle, Bottle Brush Creek and Wildflower Ridge. She's a former country journalist and radio host and also blogs for Romance Writers Australia, which I'm very interested to hear more about that. Uh, She loves baking up a storm, tending to her rambling garden and raising three young bookworms. She writes to a soundtrack of magpies and chickens on a small property in country Victoria where she lives with her family, their menagerie of farm animals and the odd tiger snake or two, which I'm sure that many of us rural women can relate to. For a regular slice of country living, follow Maya on her social medias as well. And I must say, I have been looking at your social media. It is beautiful. And I know that one of the things you try to do is promote beautiful rural life. And I think that your social media does that beautifully. And I just think that paints such a lovely picture. It's something that a lot of us can relate to too with the, you know, the the snakes and living in rural Australia. And I'm very keen to hear more about your magpies and chicken soundtrack. That sounds hilarious. But um. Mayor, if you could start by just telling us, how did you get to be where you are now, living in country Victoria and being an author? Thank you, Katrina. What a lovely intro. (laughs) Look, it is such a pleasure to be able to talk about books and to be in a position where I can, you know, be introduced as a published author because for a very long time since I was a little girl, it was always my dream to become an author and primarily to go into a library because I've always loved libraries and just see my book on the shelves. You know, as a kid, I didn't think about bookshops. I didn't think about royalties. I didn't think about, you know, blog tours. Obviously, they weren't around then. But um, for me, that little dream was to be able to walk into a library and see my name on the spine of a book. That was just the absolute ultimate. So I always loved books, always had a book in my hand. I'd be hiding under the covers with a torch as a little girl. Um, And then I went into country journalism after living overseas for a while, came back home, realised that wasn't what I wanted to do, 
scored myself a cadetship at a country newspaper in Millicent called the Southeastern Times, which has just closed, unfortunately. It was one of those beautiful um, rural newspapers that covered everything, focused on the good news stories. You know, we weren't chasing ambulances. We weren't trying to expose corrupt um, councillors or anything like that. It was all about, you know, feeling good about living in the community we lived in and really highlighting that. So I guess that kind of um, sowed the seed from a young age. I, I went into the Southeastern Times when I was in my early 20s and loved writing stories about the community. You know, one day I would get to go to the primary school and take photos of the new enrolments um, or their beautiful worm garden they've just started. And the next day I'd be at the cattle sales taking photos of, you know, the person whose ram sold for the highest price. So it was a really lovely introduction to um, community journalism. And after I finished at the newspaper, I moved away. Um, I met my husband. We moved to Victoria and I went into local government. So I had that lovely little segue going into media and communications, which was you know, it was a lot easier than the newspaper deadlines where you had to always be thinking up stories and writing quickly. Uh, and I got to do some work in the economic development team as well, which was a lot of fun. And then to, uh, threw it all away to have children and took a lovely hiatus to raise my three little kids. Um, and we moved to the southwest Victoria and just bought this beautiful property. We've got eight acres, built our own house. And it was towards the end of this home building journey that I thought, oh, I'm going to have to go back to work soon. Uh, the kids are nearly all in school. I could see the light on the horizon. Now, did I want to go into newspapers? Did I want to go back into local government media stuff? Um, I'd done a little bit of freelance contracting with um, media uh, stuff for a local beautiful boutique uh, public relations business here in Port Ferry. And I decided late one night that I would finally reveal my dream of writing a book to my husband. I don't think I'd ever actually said that to him, that I wanted to write a book. So I wasn't, yeah, and it, and it wasn't until that really late at night conversation. I said, I think we should have another child. I think we should have a fourth. And he said, Maya, really, do you really want to go back for four? And I said, well, I'm really nervous about being in the workforce again after you know, eight years away, um, seems like an easy option to me. <laughs> so thankfully, he talked some sense. He said, what do you want to do if you could do anything at all in the world? What would you do? And, you know, this quiet little voice in the middle of the night says, I'd really like to write a book. He said, well, you read enough of them. I'm sure you can write one. Go for it. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah, great response. We love yeah, that. Yeah, perfect. So brownie points for him. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if he realised quite what it entailed. <laughs> Uh, the fact that I would work harder as a, an author than any other job that I've ever worked in before. I put in more hours um, into my book and all the associated things that go with it than any other job. But I love it. I just love putting the pen to paper, coming up with these stories and having people read them and, and enjoy them. Oh, yeah, well, they are amazing, isn't it? And that I love, <laughs> there's a couple of things that I think it's so cute that well, it's interesting that you hadn't felt that you, well, it was. It took you a while to actually be able to say, I want to write a book, you know, and isn't it interesting that life experience you had and then you got to this point where you're able to vocalise, this is what I want to do, you know. That's really magical, isn't it? And, and also quite funny that you um, thought having another baby would be easier than going back to work <laughs> as well. Let me tell you, I've got four kids and, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Well, actually, I think once you've got three, you know, you can have 
six, they say, which is sort of true, actually. But uh, I'm very glad that you decided to go and write a book instead because obviously they're done very well. So I'm very fortunate to have one of the early copies. It's not quite out yet, but the Magpies Band book, and that's where I was reading from. So I'd love to know about, like, tell us about where you get your inspiration. I mean, I've read a little bit about, you know, I've read the, the excerpts of the book and I've read some of this book and I know already that they're very much based on experiences uh, that, you know, are quite common to rural people. So is it things that you, you know, is that where you've got your inspiration from, like your your childhood, your growing up? Is it all things that have sort of happened in your life as well or is it, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, well, it is interesting because um, there are certainly memories from my childhood that I've kind of pulled into different stories. There's real life events that are happening that I see on the news, things that I read in the newspapers. Anytime you pick up, say, the Stock Journal or the Weekly Times, there's, oh, oh, there's a good idea. Oh, yes. Well, that'd be perfect. So I've got this little folder of newspaper clippings that I kind of cut out and file away for future story ideas. I don't really revisit them that often, but I think it kind of sows that seed in my mind of this could be a good option. You know, why haven't I thought of it about this? Have I read a book about this? Um, so I kind of file away different things and then even down to um, different stories that people will tell me. My neighbour over the fence, she'll say, oh, now, Maya, I heard this wonderful saying and you're going to have to put it in your book and, and she'll rattle off something wonderful. Um, just a little quip that she's heard and, you know, that then kind of, just tosses around in my brain for a while and I think, yes, that is a very cool idea. Um, so I kind of take, I guess they say that it's a combination of lived experiences, um, real-life happenings and this fantastic um, wisp of inspiration from your imagination that you kind of tumble it all together like whacking it in in a cake and just stir it a bit and let it do its own thing and once it comes out in book format, it sometimes bears completely no resemblance to any of those things. It's its own creation. Um, and for me, that's the magical bit of it, the way that it does. It just um, it takes on its own form as soon as you start writing it in fictional format. So when you, you know, after that moment where you said to your husband, I'm, I'm going to write, start writing books, had you had, did you have to go and, I'm not a writer at all, I'm a speaker, uh, a talker, but did you then have to go and kind of research, like, well, how do I how do I write a book and where do I start and how did you learn? And and I'd love to, you know, because I think there's a lot of people say, oh, I, I feel like I've got a book in me. You know, like I don't feel like that. I've never felt like that. But a lot of people seem to say that. So where did you start once you had this epiphany and then and how did you, like, get going? Because that must have been quite hard. Yeah, absolutely, Katrina. And I think that too. Like I love um, the notion that everybody has a book in them because I do feel like we have stories to tell um, yeah. and, you know, you're doing it through your podcasting format, which is such a great way because some people, um, you know, they love listening and some people love reading and some people love watching films. So there's so many different ways that we can be storytellers. Um, and for me, that written form has always been um, something that I've loved doing. So, yes, I researched the heck out of it. I love research. It kind of helped me with the um, going into journalism. So I do like to throw myself into things. So if, if I'm going to do something, I want to know that I'm giving it my best shot. And for me, I'd listen to lots of podcasts while we were building a house. I had so much time while I was painting, while I was varnishing, while I was, you know, doing all those little jobs that, you know, took a lot of time. So I listened to loads of podcasts. The So You Want to Be a Writer podcast was just really good um, to get, I guess, the backstory on how other authors went about it. 
And Jane Harper, who I just love her stories, she was saying that, you know, you wouldn't expect a doctor to go into surgery without having done a heap of prep. You wouldn't send someone onto the courts at Wimbledon without coaching, without training. So it's perfectly logical that if you are going to write a book, you study how on earth you write a book and the structure of it. So yes, so I went and did that. I invested in a course. It was online because obviously in country Victoria, we don't have too many writing courses. Um, And so that was a write your first draft in 11 months course. And it was wonderful because I'd paid for this course. I had to turn up. I had to do the work. I didn't want to waste my money and I didn't want to waste anybody's time either. So I thought I'll do that. That worked out really well. Um, I had to you know, you had little goals that you got to at the end of each month and you had to send off some, only a small portion to your tutor, but, you know, it was enough to hold you accountable. And that was really good. I got that first draft done, took me 11 months, 110,000 words. There was the first draft of my first book. Amazing. That's pretty quick. I imagine that's, that, well, I don't know, that seems quite quick to me to be able to get one, like a book out there. So you obviously, you know, you obviously had a, a natural talent for it and, it and it just came and it was, it must have aligned and been the right thing to do because it just obviously happened, you know, not easily, but it, you were able to produce a book like that in that amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. And that course, you know, is for people of all genres. So there were people in the same course as I was writing science fiction, writing crime, writing thrillers, um, all sorts of genres. And it just followed, you know, a coursework of here's what would generally happen. There's seven turning points in, you know, some of these traditional novel structures. So here's what you would want to have about the halfway point. You'd want to have a character turnaround where they have to make a decision and it leads them into, you know, the next point. So the person writing science fiction, they're obviously going to have completely different turning points and things that are conflicts in their story, but it really was great. It kind of, um, you know, you had to do the coursework, but you had this fantastic structure and the support of a tried and true um, technique of, of writing. And they use it a lot in screenplays as well for putting together screenplays. So there's some really good resources out there and I highly recommend them for anyone who wants to get serious about writing because then you can't just go oh yeah I don't feel like doing that today I'd rather go out in the garden because you've paid the money you will you'll be more likely to stick to it. It's interesting I was talking to my friend Meg about this the other day and we were saying isn't it incredible that we now have access to all this information you know there's a podcast about how to write a book that you were able to listen to there's all these online courses that we can do like it's we live in we're so lucky in so many ways to live in a world where we can have access to we were talking about you know Glennon Doyle's new podcast and the Oprah interview of Brene Brown and we're like how lucky are we to be able to listen to these conversations and you know, it is amazing that these days you can have this dream of writing a book and then you can go and research it and start doing it. You know, it's 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 so cool, isn't it, to be able to do that? Yeah. So that was what year was that when you wrote your first book? So I started that course in 2017 and I finished the first draft. I reckon it was at the end of 2017. And then I did the second draft in 2018. And then I had a goal in mind because that's another thing, you know, whether you want to enter an unpublished manuscript prize or you want to pitch to a particular publishing house at a certain event, like having those little goals in place really helped because, okay, in my mind I wanted to have a manuscript ready to pitch at the Romance Writers Conference in 2018 in August. So that was my goal. So I worked my bum off to try and get that book written and get it as good as I could ready to pitch. 
Right. And so then from there, obviously, do you now, you have a publisher that take? I know like um, when I was, I think it was Sophie I was speaking to or someone else who's written a book, like you get taken on by a publisher and then you, oh, Fleur, there's a, there's a great writer from around here. I can't think of her last name, but she was saying she got picked up by the publisher and then you have to produce a book a year. So is that the sort of situation that you're in now where you've actually got to keep producing or how did that all come about? Yeah, so is that Fleur Ferris that writes Please, YA? Fleur Ferris, thank yes. you, Fleur. Yes, she's brilliant. Yeah. Books. I've got a friend who's from Hopeton who um, talks about Fleur's books all the time because she knows Fleur. Yes. Um, yeah, so I was really lucky and it wasn't until I started looking into, you know, how do I write a book, how do I get published, that I come to, came to understand just how hard it is to actually get a publishing contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really, really lucky in that I'd started my social media platform back in 2017 mm-hmm. uh, when I started writing the book so that I had, you know, it wasn't just a, hi, I've got a book, here I am, come somebody publish me. I'd kind of worked on creating that social platform um, and that was just really instrumental actually in me scoring my publishing contract because I met my publisher through social media and it's this amazing story that you know I tell at different author events and it's quite lengthy so I won't bore you with it now but um, (laughs) suffice to say that um, I received this wonderful connection or I connected with a publisher from Alan Unwin because she was going to be pitching at the Romance Writers Conference and I thought, well, I'll be sneaky and I'll stalk her on Instagram so I can see who she is, so I can bump into her at the coffee table perhaps and get in an extra little pitch um, outside of my proper pitch that I was going to book. Um, Anyway, fast forward, it it all fell into place beautifully and I was offered a contract before I even went to the conference. So, yes, it is a very fortunate position to be in to have a publishing house like Alan Unwin behind you to say, I love the manuscript, I want to publish it, and you've got their team of cover designers, editors, marketing, all behind you, and they know what they're doing and they do it so well. They want that book to be the very best thing that can be on the bookshelves. So they work with you um, and they do a great job. So for me, that was just a really wonderful sequence of events, the fact that I had the journalism background um, and I already had this draft ready to go. Mm. And also the social media presence. I think that's interesting. I think, you know, we can think about, oh, like, what, why are we, why do we bother with social media, you know, but that's a really lovely example of where it was great for building your profile and you already had that presence so people knew who you were and it kind of adds to the whole charm of, of you then as well, doesn't it? Like it's like, oh, this is this person who's, yeah, we, we, can, we can get a sense of what your life's like and you've written this book and it's all, and I can see how a publishing house would be attracted to that as well, I suppose, because you've already got this profile and people know you and it's easier to market that and all those sorts of things as well. So what what made you start the, you already had the social media profile you were saying. So is that because you knew you were going to be writing books and you wanted to get the profile happening? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, it was. So I was, um, one of the things they talked about that in the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast is get that platform so it started early uh-huh. so that you do, you can um, build a relationship with people who are maybe more likely to read your books. You build a community of other writers around you. So it's not just, you know, here I am, first post, somebody buy my book, please. You know, you do have that lovely community around you. And it's so wonderful because, um I'd gone to quite a few author talks, you know, for years. I love going and hearing about uh, how people write books, you know, what their book's about, how they got to where they are. Um, 
And that was one of the points that other people raised as well in the author talks too, that, you know, you can't be anonymous. You can't just sit in your desk and be hidden away from the world, quietly writing your books and never interacting with people. That's not what, you know, if, if I like an author, I go and see what they're up to. What do they do when they're not writing books? Oh, look, such and such loves painting. That's great. Oh, that's interesting. It makes me more interested in, in them as a person and much more likely to read their books as well. Mm, and you do have lots of fabulous interests by the sounds of it, gardening <laughs> and cooking and you've built your own home. And, and, yeah, I mean, that's all part of the story, isn't it? And that's what we love to connect with. It reminds me of, you know, because I'm trying to build an online business and it's the same sort of thing. You've got to, you've got to you know, build the audience while you're building your products because you've got to have that know, like and trust and people have got to get to know you and you've got to, you know, and that is, we all know that I love that. I love connecting and learning about people. And, you know, that's the first thing I did was went to your Instagram page and like looked up all the stuff and it's so nice to be able to do that, isn't it? And it's just, you have to sort of, you sort of have to have that these days and we've got the opportunity to do it. So it's wonderful, really. Yeah, I think we're all really curious people, aren't we? We are just all, you know, interested to see what everyone else is up to. And, and some days you can be having a really poxy day, <laughs> but you have a little scroll through and you'll see some beautiful photos of, you know, an avocado farm, or you'll see some beautiful pictures of someone, you know, having a beach walk and it can just be quite soothing. I mean, there is also that, the other side of social media where um, things are, you know, you only put the good pictures up and whatnot. And on the opposite side, you can see some people that their different social media accounts can bring you down because they can be quite negative and passive aggressive quotes. But if you kind of curate who you're following so that you're uplifted when you hop on social media, it can be a really nice place to be. Definitely. I completely agree. And I think a lot of that comes back to where you're at in your life. Like if you're, if you, because, you know, I'm very big on focusing on you and doing the work on you. And I mean, if you're in a good place and you're feeling good about yourself and you've got good well-being, you can get on social media and look at things and it's not going to affect you internally. I think it's a, it can be a really, like if you're getting on social media and getting stuck in comparison and all that kind of stuff, that can be a good indicator to you of where you need to do some work. But, um, mm. yes, we could have a whole conversation about all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to ask you about, which kind of follows on from this actually, is, is about vulnerability. I mean, when I spoke, when I interviewed Sophie Hansen, she was the first guest on the show and we talked about it's something that I hadn't really thought of in relation to putting a book out into the world, but she talked about the vulnerability piece and how, you know, you pour your heart and soul into this piece of work and then you put it out into the world. And how have, have you found that? I mean, and thinking about there must be so many stages that you have gone through as an author, like just getting started then you know, putting it out to the world, sending it to a publisher, like, and even just putting yourself on social media is a, is a vulnerable act. So talk to us about how you've dealt with that and coped with the vulnerability side of things. I'd love to hear about that. Well, Katrina, I love that episode with Sophie. That's how I found you because I follow Sophie's beautiful socials and that's one of those accounts that does bring me joy every time I look at it. There's beautiful pictures. Um, so that was a great episode and I really enjoyed that one. Oh, cool. And I can wholeheartedly agree. It yeah. is one of those things that um, I was saying to my husband the other day, it's almost like when you're putting, when you've put together that first draft of your story, and for me that takes um, about nine to 12 months to write that first draft. So once I've written it, I've got this 100,000 words that I know need a lot of work. And it's almost, it's quite raw. Like I don't want to show anyone that first draft because there's plot holes, there's, you know, millions of typos, there's 
it's almost like sitting on the bed naked with the lights on with your lover for the first time, that, that whole first draft, because you know it's not where it needs to be. You know it's going to take a lot of work and that's what I'm doing in the second draft. I'm just about to live launch into the second draft of my fourth book. Um, but I wouldn't want people to read that first draft because it is, you know, it's full of mistakes. You know it needs a lot of work. But even talking through, so often when my husband and I are walking in the morning, we will, you know, he'll, he'll whinge about his work <laughs> and I will gush about my work and I'll say, oh, now I've got this plot problem, um, you know, such and such is doing this at this point of the book and I just don't know how to unstick, you know, what they're doing and would someone really do that? All these different things that, you know, are running through my head. I'm constantly thinking about my book, no matter which stage it's at. I'm, it's always in my mind. Um, and he says, well, hold on, I've forgotten. Which which character are we talking about? You know, in Magpie's Bend, we've got Toby and Lara. In Wildflower Ridge, my first book, we had Penny and Tim. And in my second book, we had Angie and Rob. And now as I'm writing because I'm on the fourth book, sometimes I'll find the other characters' names sneaking in. Anyway, I digress. But I will try and give him like a bit of a snapshot. Okay, so remember now um, book three, Magpie's Bend, that's about um, Lara's story and Lara's trying to, you know, loves her general store and the general store's under threat. Um, and then Toby comes in and he's from Ballarat. And, and so I'm trying to tell this story, even though it's not quite fully formed in my brain, but to try and explain it to somebody when it's in that infant stage, it does feel really vulnerable and you're very you're very nervous about other people's reactions to, oh, God, that sounds so confusing. Oh, that sounds great. Or that sounds like a hunk of junk. I, I've got no idea what you, who was that character? There's so many different points where you can kind of come unstuck if you talk about it too much too early before you've fully formed it in your own head. Mm. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so there is the vulnerability of that first draft. <clears throat> and then when you send it to the publisher, it depends, you know, each publisher works differently and they've got their own different timelines. But um, you kind of wait very anxiously for that first initial response to say, it's okay, or I like it, or I love it. Okay, we're going to need to do a lot of work on this. It's just edge of your seat stuff. And I'm finding that it doesn't go away with the more books that I write. It doesn't necessarily, um, you know, dissipate. You've still got that worry. And when I submitted Magpie's Bend in its second draft stage. So that would have been last August. So last August I sent, the, the publisher looked at the draft of that book for the very first time. And I remember I didn't hear anything for a while. I didn't hear anything for a while. And I called up my editor and I said, oh, Samantha, I'm really, really worried about this book. And I think maybe, oh God, maybe it's not going to work. And you, you just stress about these things. She's, Maya, are you just panicking? Or are you genuinely really concerned? I said, I'm really concerned. I'm not sure if it's it's different. It's not the first book and it's not the second book. Because, of course, you can't write those books again. Oh, <laughs> yes. So you think, well, will people like it? Well, luckily for me, um, she said after she'd finished reading it, Maya, this is your best book yet. And that is the biggest relief to hear that, okay, it's okay. It does make sense from top to bottom because you get really lost in the story and where, what ground you've covered. Mm. So you need external um, eyes on it to then be able to say, okay, yes, it does flow. I can see what you're trying to do here. 
perhaps we need to lop 10,000 words off the start. Those first 100, word, 100 pages are pretty slow. Let's really condense into at least half. And so you do. You go in and you do the work and it gets so much better with someone else's vision kind of working through it for you and seeing where you're trying to go and seeing maybe where you've fallen short. But there's so many funny things that you don't quite notice that your own sayings, like things like let's cut them off at the chase or let's cut them off at the pass. Now, do you know which one's the right one out of those two, Katrina? I think, no, I would probably use both. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the funny thing. I've been using both all my life, but one of them's wrong. And I can see now I can't even remember which one is wrong. uh, It's not until an editor says that is not actually a saying. Did you mean (laughs) let's cut them off at the pass? And I've been saying let's cut them off at the chase for the last 39 years. (laughs) Plus everything's being sort of overanalyzed too, isn't it, the way that you just are. I mean, I, I can't even imagine that how, how vulnerable that must feel. And I was thinking about it reminded me of, I think it's Oprah. I mean, a lot of people talk about how you never lose that. It's sort of, it's almost a bit like it's the self-doubt, it's the imposter syndrome. Like whatever stage you're at, you're still going to experience those things. Because I would imagine like when you put your first book out, you're almost a little bit naive and it's all a bit fresh and you're like, oh, it's my first book and there's not that level of kind of expectation. By the time you're doing your third and fourth book, it's like, wow, I've really got to deliver now. So it's a whole different sort of set of self-doubt and vulnerability, I would imagine. And so I think it's always really good to remind people that that never does go away. And I know Sophie said this as well, you know, she's always still, oh, gosh, uh, is this right? Are people going to like this? It doesn't matter. I think we can easily look at people on the internet or, you know, fabulous writers like you and think, oh, they must just have it all together and they're never worried about anything. But it's just not the case, is it? We all experience it ongoing. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, when Wildflower Ridge came out and it did so well straight away and it exceeded my expectations, exceeded the publisher's expectations for a debut. Um, I mean, it's not Trent Dalton's brilliant, brilliant to Boy Swallows Universe, but um, for someone from little old Victoria who'd never written a book before, you know, I was so thrilled and they were thrilled Mm -hmm. and then with the second book of course you know what if they don't like it because it's not the duplicate copy of the first book and then yeah so it does it continues and then the stakes get higher in that both Bottle Brush Creek and Wildflower Ridge were really lucky to get onto different bestseller lists which was you know all my dreams come true not do it not only do I have that book in the library but then it's sitting next to Nora Roberts and Danielle Steele in some bestseller lists Amazing. Um, so yeah. Cool. yeah. So there's some really cool things like that. But then, of course, you do get that little 1% of your brain that says, well, what if um, what if Magpies Band doesn't get on the bestseller list? What does that mean? <laughs> yes. So do you have like, you know, have you got strategies or things that you, you do to deal with that, like that the inner critic or is it just, you know, keep it on going? Obviously, it sounds like speaking to your husband in the mornings is part of the, part of the process, but have you got any other kind of like little tips for people about how they can manage that vulnerability or their well-being or, you know, to stay kind of connected to what they're doing rather than letting that kind of take over, I guess, because I see that happening for a lot of people is the fear and the self-doubt and all that stops them actually doing what they really want to do in the world so 
any advice on how you've managed to just keep pushing through? <laughs> well, I think I'm very determined. So that kind of um, goes in my favour. And my parents um, have always been so supportive. So they've kind of, I guess, instilled in me this self-confidence that, you know what, if you work hard enough at something, you will succeed. And so I guess just showing up and sitting at my desk, even when I feel like, you know, the story might be rubbish or I know I'm going to have to chop 10,000 words off or, you know, I, I know that it will get bad reviews. Some people take great joy in going on to Goodreads and saying, I hated this book. It was so predictable. Why would you buy this? And then you look at the list of the books that they have read previously and their favourite books are Stephen King and Anne Rice's Vampire series. You think, well, you're not my ideal reader. You're never going to like my book. Why? How did it fall into your shopping cart anyway? Why did you even bother reading it? <laughs> I know. So I guess um, I can try and remind myself that I don't like every book. So other people aren't going to like, aren't always going to like my books either. Mm -hmm. and then I guess I also take a lot of comfort from some of the different emails that come through, and I didn't know this was a thing. I'd never previously emailed an author to say, hey, Fleur Ferris, I love your books. I can't wait to have the next one. You know, keep writing. You're awesome. But people do that, and it is the nicest thing. It just will turn your day absolutely around if you're having a crap day and you've got a beautiful email that comes in from someone to say, um, you know, I'm having chemo at the moment and I'm reading your books and I really appreciate that you've written them because it's taken me to a different place. It's um, someone who's had, um, you know, different illnesses and it's just given them an escape and that warm feeling and that happy ending, um, that's a real joy and it's a real nice thing to be able to do that and know that people are looking forward to the book because it will. It will take them away from, you know, the cold, wet winter where maybe they're out of firewood and maybe they've, you know, had a really bad week, um, you know, they can snuggle up with the book. So I guess that helps. And my sister-in-law had this really good comment from Brene Brown and it was talking about people who are not in the ring. So if someone's not in the ring, what does their opinion matter if they're not out there putting themselves forward and putting their heart on the page and, and hoping that somebody might like it, um, then, well, who are they to judge? So I quite liked that sometimes when I think, oh, gosh, this is, you know, that bad reviews really brought me down. Well, I shouldn't go looking for it. That's probably a really good thing as well. Don't go hunting for the kick in the guts because if you're not in a good emotional state, then that's not going to make your day any better. <laughs> Uh, absolutely not. But it's, it's it, you know, what I was thinking about there is it's so easy to go to the one negative. You can have a 100 positive reviews or a 100 positive emails and you get one that's, you know, having a go at you and that's the one that our brains tend to focus on, unfortunately, isn't it, you know? And yeah. We sort of do tend to go to that. So, so, so important to focus on all those hundreds of people whose lives you're changing and who are loving it, you know. But that can often be the challenge. And, and I also love that Brene Brown quote about if you're not also in the arena. I think about that a lot because there are so many people who are willing to, you know, stand back and throw stones and often they're the ones that are either struggling the most or, you know, the least likely to put themselves out there or take any risk or, you know, write a book. They'll be the ones that have the most criticism. So it's always really good to remember that, isn't it? I think that's such good advice is to think about who it is that's throwing the stones and, and focus on the ones that are your supporters too and that do love you and, and whose opinion you value as well, you know, like listen to them, not the not the critics, I guess. But then sometimes, I mean, constructive criticism, I imagine, you know, especially in the author world, like there are there's, there, you, there would be some critics who are very well-renowned who you would kind of 
take note of as well and learn from, I guess. Would that be right too? Yeah, absolutely. Look, and some people do have relevant points and, yeah, it's just working out who who you do listen to. But there are, you can always learn things and you can always do things better. Mm-hmm. And I think if you didn't have a publishing contract, so I'm really lucky to be contracted for um, for my fifth book, so the 2022 book and the 2023 book. But <clears throat> if I didn't have those contracts, perhaps I would be tempted just to keep fiddling with it and fiddling with it. Mm-hmm. But when you have a contract, you do the best you can and you put that book out into the world and go, I've done my best I can and now I'm, I'm going to try again and maybe I'll try a little bit harder to make sure that that character in that position has a bit better backstory or perhaps their conflict needs to be stronger. So sometimes the, the points can be very valid. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of the saying, like, done is better than perfect. Like, often yes. what holds people back is this idea, I've got to get it perfect. I've got, you know, and it, it's, if it's not perfect, I'm not putting it out there. Whereas what you're saying is sometimes you just got to say, look, this is it, it's out there in the world, and then you can keep growing and improving for the next one or whatever, you know, and and imagine if you waited till it was like, what's perfect? No one ever is going to get it perfect, are they? So we can't wait for that. And we, we've missed out on three of your fabulous books, I'm sure. And, <laughs> you know, hold yourself back by that because... The, the expectations we put on ourselves is often just so high, isn't it? So, yeah, I absolutely. Think also, excellent advice. So, thank you. So, I'm wondering what you can tell us about the up and coming book. Like, it's the release date of Magpie's Band is the first of June. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So, it'll yes. be in all good bookstores, um, in ebook, audiobook, and paperback. Yes. Uh, so Magpie's Bend is the story of Lara McIntyre and if anyone's read my first two books, they will recognise some of the characters. You don't have to read them. They're linked but they're standalone. So each book can be read individually in whatever order. Um, so each story tells a different sisters. I've got four sisters in the McIntyre family and Magpie's Bend is Lara's story. So she's a bush nurse and she lives in a small town called Bridgefield. She's got a little property. She's got her cattle. She's got her daughter um, who's a teenager. And Laura's had uh, Lara's had some pretty hard knocks in the past. And what she finds here is that all of a sudden when her general store comes under threat and it looks like it might close, she's got to step up and she's got to, you know, put herself out there to help try and save this store. Now, the very lovely Toby Paxton, who I have a crush on, it's uh, one of those weird things that you write these characters and you really start to get quite smitten with them yourself. <laughs> so, cute. so he's a country journalist. I'm using my knowledge of country journalism to put him as a country journalist into the town of Bridgefield. And they are in the small town. They can't really escape. And he's a community-minded type of guy. So, you know, he comes on board to help with this whole general store campaign. It's a, it's a really nice way to be able to give Lara, um, give her the spotlight because, yeah, as I mentioned, she had a rough deal in Wildflower Ridge. People that read that book went, oh, that Lara, I couldn't stand Lara. Um, but because, you know, as her creator, you know there's so much more to her story than made the page in the first book and you see a bit more of her in the second book and the third book is all about her. So it really is lovely. It's about... Um, you know, farming families, country living, the things that are really important to small communities and general stores, I think, are right up there. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so true. I love how you kind of thread that promoting and sort of and and um, creating that 
I guess the like not the not the awareness, but you sort of paint the picture of rural towns as well and what it's like living in a rural community. I think that's really beautiful the way you're able to do that in this creative way through your books. It's really it's quite magical, really. Um, now I haven't read the whole book yet because I am not a reader, as I said, I'm a talker. But I, I, I it's very good that what I have read so far. But I I did want to ask you about. Um, there's a magpie called Vegemite. That's one thing I want to ask about because growing up we had a magpie called. Um, Gobble docks. <laughs> I guess he would used to go gobble, 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 gobble. <laughs> Sorry. I love that there's a magpie called Vegemite. <laughs> That's very cute. Is that, did you have a magpie growing up as well? Well, we had galahs. So my dad was mad keen on galahs and he always had um, a galah sitting on his shoulder pretty much my whole childhood. And it was this absolute menace. It was very protective for my dad. And it's different to the Vegemite in the story. The Vegemite in my story, he's lovely. Um, whereas the one that we grew up would, you know, draw blood at any opportunity. It would swoop down. Visitors would run from the car to the front door to try and avoid this bird that Dad loved dearly. Um, but we did have a little magpie fly into our lives uh, last summer and we are just at nippers at the swimming. Uh, the kids are at the beach doing their lessons and this completely tame magpie just hopped along and, and came up to say hi. Anyway, we thought, well, it's going to get eaten by a cat or, you know, injured by somebody because it would come up so close to people. So on the second day, we took it home with us and we had Nipper, we called him Nipper after the Nipper's swimming lessons, in our life for a little while. And that just really inspired that little subplot. So it's really nice to just kind of weave these little things in that just have little significance. No one else, you know, might uh, might have had experience with birds. And then it's just lovely to weave these things in that you enjoy. Yeah, and the other one, am I right, is that the, there's a black tie ball featured and is that actually how you met your husband as well, which I think that's quite cute. Yeah, there is Katrina. It's um, another little one. My hubby, I met him at the Butte Blokes in Harrow, which was kind of like Farmer Wants a Wife before it became a TV show. So is that like a B&S ball? What we would know as a BNS ball, or well, I like to say it's classier than a BNS oh, ball. Oh right, no <laughs> food colouring, no huge copious amounts of rum. Right, but everyone had to dress up nicely, and okay, it was a whole weekend actually developed to get city girls to the country. Well, I wasn't city, but I wasn't from Western Victoria either, so I was new blood into the town, coming for the weekend, especially to check out the local talent. And luckily for me, it worked out beautifully. 14 years later here, we're 14 years married, so it worked out well. And I'd always known that when I started writing these stories that I'm going to have a black tie ball in one of these books. Someone is going to meet someone at one of these fantastic events. Love it. Uh, and Toby, dear Toby in the book, has odd socks. And that was one of the first things I noticed about my husband. <laughs> he's wearing, he's got this suit on and when he sat down, I could see odd football socks. And <laughs> so that was one of the things that stuck in my mind right away with him. So I thought, well, Toby can be an odd socks type of guy. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, I'm looking forward to getting up to that part in the book and I'm sure that uh, all our listeners will as well. That sounds fabulous because I know also, you know, a lot of rural women can relate to going to events like that in the country. So I think that's, yeah, so it's one of the really special things about these books, especially for rural women to read is because, you know, it's it's painting that beautiful picture of the life that we live in in a, yeah, in this beautiful way. So I think that's probably a good place to wrap up today, Maya. Thank you so much for chatting with me. So Yes, you did mention 1st of June in all good bookstores. Is that what we always say? Yes, that's right. <laughs> yes, and available online and everything as well, the book? 
Yeah, absolutely. People can find it wherever they find their books um, and libraries as well. So if people are library people, which, you know, I, I borrow a lot of books from my library, you can always ask your library to order it in for you. You know, you don't have to wait for them to get it into the shelves. They can, they can order it in or your local bookstore, if they don't have it on the shelf, can always order it in as well. And in the meantime, you could go and get the first two books and read those so you can be completely up to date when this one comes out. Is that right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we know that um, Bottle Brush Creek, my second book, will be in BW for the rest of the year because it just made the top 100 in the better reading uh, books. So that means it stays on the shelves in BW for the whole year, which is really exciting. Oh, that is exciting. Congratulations. That's fantastic. And, um, and people can follow you. What's your, is it just Maya Linnell on Instagram? It's all, I think it's Maya. Yeah. Dot- maya.linnell.writes with a w-r-i-t-e-s and yeah I I also have a newsletter so if people like a little bit of um, country living and recipes and contests I always do book giveaways with my blogging for romance writers Um, I have lots of books come my way that I'm fortunate enough to review and give plenty of copies away so that's always a lot of fun Oh, fantastic. So, and we will link all that up in the show notes as well so people can find you easily. Um, But thank you so much for joining me today, Mayor. It's been so lovely to chat with you and hear all about your journey and writing books and I think there's a lot of gold in there for our listeners. So thank you so much for giving up your time to speak to me today and good luck with the next book launch and all the books to come. We will look forward to following your journey from here. So thank you. Thank you, Katrina. It's been a pleasure. And I love everything that you're doing for rural women and talking about, you know, vulnerability and it's, it's wonderful. I think there should be more of it. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks, Maya. Thank you. See ya.